Good morning. If you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter number 4. And uh, let me just say this. Uh, I don't normally do things like this, but I'm going to do it today. My daughter's 18 years old today. And uh, I just want you guys to say happy birthday to her. And then, uh, then my youngest, uh, she fractured her foot on Friday. And uh, she fell down the very bottom stair. And, I, you know, when she did it, I felt bad because she was crying. But I just wanted to be like, walk much? And so... Um, but baby, I love you, and we're going to get it fixed. And so, um, as you're turning to 1 Corinthians 4.13, the reason I said that about Ellie today is it's just a reminder. I was driving into church today, and we went out to breakfast, as we always do on Sunday morning. And man, isn't it weird how fast life goes by? I mean, I just try to think about, you know, my kids, and then Facebook memories popped up today, and I saw these memories of, of, of years gone by where I had posted pictures of her, at 12, 13, and so forth of, you know, uh, celebrating her birthday. And I think a lot of times we, uh, we invest in things and we uh, give our lives to things that don't really matter. And uh, I think, you know, when you think about life, the Bible says that uh, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this is the judgment. And, and the reality is, is one day, sooner probably than we think or that we can imagine, we're going to be in the presence of the Almighty, and we're going to have to give an account for the life that we live. And the reality is, is that our life is nothing more than a vapor. It's here one minute, and it's gone the next. And that's why I think our message this morning is going to be really important to us today. For the last three days, I, I want to share this with you too before you guys start the clock on me. Eric, thank you. I appreciate that. The message doesn't start until I read the passage. That's the rule around here. I'm just saying, if you're a guest today, we'll get to the Bible here in just a moment. Um, last three days, uh, we've been able to spend, myself, a couple staff members, and a few of our church members, a small team, were able to sit together uh, with the Resound Network, which is an extension of the North American Mission Board, to talk about strategic planning for the next five years. And I want to say this, uh, God has gifted our church uh, with some in incredibly gifted, intelligent, and smart folks. I'm not one of them, but he's given us some people here that are really gifted in these areas. And I was able to be a part of that process, and, and we worked together for the last three days, and we're going to put together an advisory team, and then we're going to bring our other leaders in, and then we're going to share some things with the church. But God allowed us, and I, I believe God met with our team and with these facilitators to really refine who we are, our vision, and the direction for the next five years. And, and we're going we're gonna to put together uh, some more teams to help us really uh, dial in. You know, I've been here two years and one of the areas that I've really struggled with is, is trying to figure out, uh, you know, our unique giftedness and how we as a church can uh, really minister and serve the community that we live in. Because we live in a, a very educated community. We live in a very, for the most part, affluent community. There's not very many felt needs or, uh, you know, very many needs to some degree in our area. And God met with us and really showed us some areas in which we can strategically, if you will, uh, meet the needs of our community and minister our to our community for uh, many, many years to come. And I just wanted to share that with you this morning because I believe that's uh, going to be important for us in the days ahead. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we've been studying over the last several weeks about what it looks like to become a church. Uh, and really, what, what, what do we look like as a church? What is our house? What is our family? Who are we going to be? And Paul begins in Acts chapter, or I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. He said, this is, how, <clears throat> this is how one should regard us. And I just, I want to stop there for a minute. Like when people see you, when they meet you in the, in the neighborhood, 
when they see you in your workplace, when they see you at home, when people see you at church, how do they regard you? How do they see you? Paul said in this passage, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ, the stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or really by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes. Who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart? Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If you then received it, why did you boast as if you did, did not receive it? Already you have all that you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We're fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we are in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and we thirst. We're poorly dressed and we're buffeted and we're even homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We've become and still are like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. And I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Now, Father, in the best way that I can, I pray that you'd give me the words to say, that you'd help me not to say anything more or less than I need to say this morning. And I pray that when we get done here today, that we would be pointed to the cross of Jesus Christ. Help us to become the people that you want us to become, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago, I was on vacation in Orlando, Florida, and our uh, back in Chicago, our church had dual affiliation. We were a Southern Baptist church, but we also had affiliation with Converge Worldwide, which was just another network in which we partnered with in order to plant churches and send missionaries around the world. While I was on vacation, I walked into church on that Sunday, and uh, as I was walking into the, the church facility that day, Scott Rideout was there. And you may not know who that is, but Scott Rideout is the the president of, of Converge Worldwide. And that morning, as I was walking into the church, Scott handed me at the front door a bulletin and, and greeted me and our family and welcomed us to church that morning. Now, here was a man who ultimately was responsible for thousands of church planners, missionaries, and churches uh, around the world. Scott's educated. He's, uh, he leads a a, a, a global organization to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, and, and likely he should have probably been on the platform preaching that day. But here was Scott on that Sunday teaching me, teaching that church, and showing us that nothing was beneath him to serve in any capacity, because like Jesus, he just wanted to serve those that God had called him to serve, regardless of what that position was. Now, here at Southgate, we have many sacrificial servants. In fact, we've got many servants who've been serving for many, many years. We've got people who will serve so that others 
can be introduced to Jesus Christ. We have teachers. I think of Jerry and Pat Bowles who teach faithfully each week. I, I think we're going to have to drag Jerry and Pat out of that Sunday school class one day because I don't think he's ever going to retire. But he loves those kids. He loves them and he teaches them. He and Pat both. I mean, uh, when I first moved here, and uh, I remember one Sunday, Jerry came up to me. Just uh, and I don't know how Jerry's old, how old Jerry is, and I certainly don't want to reveal his age, but he's he's over forty, right? But Jerry came up to me. He's he's retired school superintendent. I mean, fired up and passionate about the opportunity to teach these young people about Jesus Christ. We have teachers who teach faithfully each week and kid men and adults. And I could go down a list, and I certainly don't want to put Jerry and Pat on a, on a pedestal, but I, I do think we need to create an honor of culture here. Man, we've got teachers that do that. We've got folks that serve in so many capacities. We've got folks that fly across the globe to serve with medical missions outreach. Just this week, we have a, a preschool director, our, our preschool director, Annie Huff, who's, who's insanely educated and gifted and a high-capacity leader, leader serving in the kitchen because the kitchen staff is on maternity leave, and she does what it takes to make sure the children have a chance to hear about the love of Jesus Christ. Just this week, Derek drove two, two and a half hours each way to Columbia, Missouri to sit with a family where the dad was donating his kidney so that his brother could live. And friends, that's what it means to be a sacrificial servant of Jesus Christ. Because when we serve God, it's not a convenience. When we serve God, it's, it's not on our own time, and it's not on our own schedule. We serve and we sacrificially live our lives regardless of the cost, and we do so sacrificially so that others can know who Jesus is. And I believe this morning that if we're going to be a church that honors God, and if we're going to be a people that honor God, and if we're going to be uh, disciples of Jesus Christ, developing a servant's heart is fundamentally vital to the Christian faith. Jesus said it this way. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and He gave His life as a ransom for many. Now, I want to be very clear today, and this isn't in your notes, but you might jot this down. Success is not having money in the bank or nice buildings. Now, friends, we got money in the bank. We've got nice facilities. We've got an incredible staff. We've got incredible leaders. We've got a lot of servants around here. But success is not having money in the bank or nice buildings. Success is in serving. Success is in learning how to serve. And here's the thing. Most of us like to think we're servants. In fact, I heard a story many years ago where a young man uh, went and he said, you know, I want to learn how to serve. And, and here's the thing. Everybody wants to be a servant until you hand them a broom, right? Or, or, amen? Everybody wants to be known as a servant until you hand them a broom and they have to do something that they believe is beneath them. Friends, if we're going to reach the world, nothing will be below us, regardless of our position, our popularity, our income, our education, or even our popularity. In fact, if you desire to be great, if you desire to, be, to leave a legacy, if you will, you'll first be the servant of all. And I believe for many of us, and this goes to my own life, my own heart, my own, I'm convicted by this myself, there's often this gap between our behavior and our belief, what we actually believe and what we actually do. And I believe that if we're going to be servants of God, if we're going to be servants of Jesus Christ, we have to take responsibility for our own faith. And we can't say, well, Jerry will do that, or, or Annie will do that, or Derek will do that, or we hired the staff to do that. The staff is here, and I keep saying this, we are here to equip you for the work of the ministry. That is our role here at the church. 
We're here to equip you to be the servants of God that God has called you to be. We're here to, to point you in that direction. Now, many of us, we think that success is in how many people serve us. Well, man, if I've got a big crew and a bunch of people that I've delegated things to and a bunch of people that, that I lead out, then that, that is success. In the kingdom of God, it's inverted. In the kingdom of God, success is in how many people we serve, not how many people serve us. So developing a servant mentality could change. Listen, developing a servant mentality can change everything about your life. It could change your situation at work. It could change your marriage. It could change your family. Man, it could change this church radically. I believe, I really believe this this morning, I believe that our lives would be transformed and we would have more success in marriage, in family, in life, and in work if every single one of us today took steps to have a servant's heart. I really believe that. Now, success is this, and this is the big idea today. We're going to think about this this morning. Success is found in serving others sacrificially. That's the big idea. That's the thought that we want to talk about and kind of drill into today. And in our text, Paul took the time in this letter to the church at Corinth to correct the attitude of entitlement. He corrected the egos of this church who thought that they were above serving and putting others first because that is the true way of disciple. That is the pathway to success. So when we struggle to serve, Paul shows us the path to success, and that path is serving others sacrificially. And see, if you want to be a servant this morning, what Paul says in verse number 6, the first thing that we want to notice this morning is this, servants develop humility. Servants develop humility. Now, in the Corinthian church, they had an issue. If you go back to chapter 3, there were some people in the church that said, well, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and I'm of this guy, and I'm of this guy. So there was a bunch of people that were exalting certain teachers. And then what they were doing was they were bragging about how they were the smartest. Well, you know, I'm really smart because I follow Paul. Well, I'm really smart because I follow uh, Apollos. That'd be like you guys walking around here. Well, I'm really smart because I follow Derek. Derek's my guy. Well, I'm really smart because I follow Brandy. You know, I mean, th this is how ridiculous this is. And that's exactly what they were doing. The Scripture speaks about showing appropriate honor to the leaders of the church, but they'd gone beyond that. They wanted to brag about their superiority. They wanted to brag about rallying around the best teacher, and that was just complete nonsense to Paul. Paul says the polar opposite, and he says that servants ought to be trying to develop a humility that serves others, not the kind of pride, listen to this, not the kind of pride that, that divides the body of Christ. Paul says our we're drawn together not by certain teachers, not by certain leaders, but we're drawn together by Jesus Christ, the gospel, and the mission of God. So servants develop humility by first and foremost remembering their position. And he says in verse number one, if you go back to verse number one, look at what he says. Paul says, this is how one should regard us. And he says, as servants of Christ. Now, a servant or a minister, the word there in the original languages means an under rower. Someone that rode the boat. Now, I want you to think of me, this is what Paul is saying. He says, I, I want you to think of me as a servant. And, and the word for servant in the New Testament is actually the word slave. Not a single one of us in this room would want to be identified as a slave. But Paul says, when you look at me, when you see me, when, you, when I'm recognized in the community, when you see me in the church, I don't want to be on the front row. I don't need to be on the platform. I don't need to have the first place. I want you to see me as your servant. I want you to see me as a slave to Jesus Christ, 
bought and purchased and sealed by his blood. I'm a servant. Now, the picture that Paul was trying to create here was a dark ship, which was powered by layers and layers and layers of slaves rowing with giant oars. And it was a hard position as it was, but the worst spot on the ship was being an under rower, being on the, being on the bottom. And Paul says, that's what we all are. Every single one of us in this room today, I don't care if you have $10 million in the bank today. I don't care if you're running for Congress. I don't care if you run the hospital at Cox Mercy or any, it doesn't matter what position that you hold. When you live for Jesus Christ, you have an appropriate view of yourself. And Paul says in this text, when you view me, when you view yourself, you view yourself nothing more than a menial slave of Christ. And that's all we should ever want it to be. And friends, I want to tell you this morning, that stands in 100% contrast to an entitlement mentality. He says we're servants, we're ministers, we're under rowers. But then he goes on to say we're stewards of the mysteries of God. Stewardship is a great truth in the Bible, especially when you add what this verse says, that we're stewards of the mysteries of God. But it's still a position of servanthood. Someone had to entrust you with whatever truth that you know or the gifts that you had. You were given everything. Paul's point is, please don't think about us as big shots or important people or supermen. And please don't think of yourself that way because at the end of the day, we're nothing more than under rowers. We're nothing more than stewards of Jesus Christ. So servants develop humility by remembering their position, but also by taking accolades with a grain of salt. In verse 3, he mentions this, but with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. And so we take accolades, we take praise and criticism with a grain of salt, and we do that from others. Everyone enjoys a compliment. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being encouraged by, 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 by those things, but be careful because sometimes people might want to put you on a pedestal. Sometimes people want to do that. And who doesn't like to be put on a pedestal sometimes? So Paul says, take accolades, take praise from others as a grain of salt, but then also from yourself. See, the problem with most of us is that we believe our own press clippings. We actually think we're better than what we really are. The point is, is that we don't listen to the criticisms and the compliments of others. It's not that we never acknowledge good things. Listen, when someone says to you, hey, man, that's a great job. Or if someone comes to you and says, hey, man, you're the worst person I've ever been around right? Are you guys with me? Say amen. The key is this. Often the views of others are very, very skewed. It's very skewed. Years ago, I heard a pastor say at a conference, he said this, he goes, we have to crucify ourselves to praise and to criticism. We have to crucify ourselves to those things. Because oftentimes the criticism of others and the praise of others is often skewed. Now, the idea is part of what is intended to keep us humble is the understanding that the evaluation of others or the evaluation of ourselves is often not correct. So here's the ultimate issue. The ultimate issue is this. What does God think? And we see that in verses 4 and 5. Paul says, I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm, I'm not thereby acquitted. It's, listen to what he says. It's the Lord who judges me. The Lord's opinion of you is what matters. So many of us today... We get education, we get money, we get popularity, we get power, we get recognition, we, 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 we strive for those things because we want people to like us. We want people to think that we've arrived. 
But at the end of the day, if you do those things and it comes at a cost that your relationship with Jesus Christ and your relationship with God, it wasn't worth it at all. At the end of the day, the only thing that really matters is what God thinks. And so we see that in verses 4 and verse 5. He says, don't pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. Who will bring to light the things now hidden in the darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart? Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Listen, man, my wife can sit here and tell me today how great I am. And she does that from time to time. She, she builds me up. There's some of you that will come to me after service and you'll be like, man, pastor, that was, a, that was a great message today. And I am thankful when you do that, much more than some of the other things that, I, that get said to me. Amen? Listen, but at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is did I please God? Did I honor God? Did I do what I did for the Lord Jesus Christ? Was I serving Him? That's what matters the most. So servants develop humility by taking accolades with a grain of salt, and they, they, they understand their position. But I also want you to see this today, too, in verses 8 through 13. Servants evaluate themselves properly. Someone once said to me years ago, they said, man, you know, oftentimes the evaluation of ourselves is often as accurate as a carnival mirror. Now, you've never been to the carnival, and you've been through those weird houses where they have the mirrors that make you look real skinny, Right? Or the ones that make you look, you know, kind of biggie-biggie, right? And so, oftentimes, the opinion of ourself is not very accurate. The, the Corinthians in verses 8 and 9, let me, let me show you what they thought that they were in verses 8 and 9. He says in verse 9, look, he goes, you guys already have all that you want. Already, you, you are rich, you've become kings, you are reigning. And then he goes through all these things, you, you, you're full, you're Rich reigning as kings, you're wise, you're strong, and you're distinguished. But Paul says this. This is what Paul says. Here's what I know about me. Here's what I know about my life. Paul knew in this passage of Scripture, he says, uh, going down to verse 9, I, I think that God has exhibited us as apostles as last of all. Like men, sent, look at what he says. Men sent us to death because we've become, look at what he says here. We've become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. Now, the word spectacle, that would have resonated with the church at Corinth because there was this image that was familiar to them because when a Roman general won a major victory, it was celebrated by what was called a spectacle or a triumph. The general would, would general and his troops would enter a city with great military splendor. They'd come in on chariots and, and trumpets and Behind them would be prisoners, and, and the conquered king and all of the soldiers that weren't slaughtered in the battle, they would all be on display for everyone to see them and everyone to mock them. And while the, the prisoners would be taken to the, to, the, to the arena, and they would fight with wild animals while everyone laughed and jeered as these prisoners, these spectacles, met their death. You know what Paul says? Paul says, sometimes that's what it's like to serve God. There's not always prestige. There's not always honor. And you're likely not even going to have the approval of man. He goes on in verse 10. He says, I'm not just a spectacle, but, but I'm a fool for Christ's sake. In verse 11, he says, I'm a sufferer. And then in verse 13, he says, when slandered we entreat, we have become and are still, look at what he says, the scum of the world. He uses this word, filth and scum, 
the dregs of what came off pots after they were scrubbed. So this afternoon, when, when the wife, or maybe the husband is the cook in the house, but when someone serves a great meal, the, the other spouse will say, Honey, please let me and the kids do the dishes while you rest for a while. And he and the kids get all the dishes together, and you do what you always do, and, and you save, what do you save for last? You save those pots and pans. Because you don't want that junk in the water until the very end. It's one of the grossest parts of cleaning dishes is all the, all the scum, all the dregs, all the filthiness comes off and it just sits in the sink. It's the scum and it's the filth. Paul says sometimes that's what it's like to serve the Lord. Paul's not having a pity party. He, he even says that, that we're going to work with our hands. And in the Corinthian culture, they didn't work with their hands. Blue-collar work was a was a downgrade for them. It was below them. And Paul says, here we are, the scum of the world, working with our hands. And I'm going to continue to do that regardless of how I'm treated. We're still going to bless. We're still going to endure. We're going to make peace. That's because servants of God learned how to evaluate themselves properly. So what does this mean? What are the applications? When we look at our life, and it, some of this sounds heavy this morning, but what does this mean for you and me? What are some of the applications that we can make immediately from this text? Well, for you and me, when we evaluate ourselves, the ultimate evaluator is the cross of Jesus Christ. See, one of the biggest mistakes people make is believing that they can get and earn their own way to heaven. Listen, we're a broken people, and we need God's grace and gift of salvation. Every single one of us in this room today, every single one of us in this room today are sinful. Can I get an amen on that? I wasn't strong enough. Amen? Amen. A bunch of sinners and misfits. That's what we are. We're broken. And every single one of us stand in need of the righteousness of Jesus Christ that's offered through His finished work on the cross of Calvary. And there's no single thing that I could ever do that would earn or merit a right standing with God. And so Jesus Christ, the King of the ages, came 2,000 years ago, born of a virgin, and lived a sinless, perfect life. And He laid down His life on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins, set free from bondage, and have a home in heaven forever with Him. Amen? That's how we evaluate ourselves. Because ultimately, this is what the cross does. The beauty of the cross is that the cross, it, it, it condemns us. It condemns us because we are broken and we are sinful and we need to be saved from our sins. So the cross not only condemns us of our sins, it sets us free. It pays our debt and demonstrates the immense love that God has for each of us. So at the end of the day, listen, at the end of the day, we're as bad as people think that we are, and we're much more loved than we can ever imagine. Amen? So when somebody comes to me and says, well, you got a lot of pride in your life, Jason. Yeah, man, you don't know the half. Well, hey, you don't, you know, you don't do this very well. Let me tell you a little bit more about that, right? Because at the end of the day, man, I, I, I'm worse off than people even know or think. But you know what? I'm also more loved than you can ever imagine. And the same is true for you. So the ultimate evaluator is the cross of Jesus Christ. And then I want you to know this, is don't assume that when things are going bad, and some of us do this, when things are going bad, we, we might be displeasing God. Man, no. You, you might be saying like, man, I, I feel like scum. What, 
Why do I have to cook in the kitchen this week? Why do I have to drive two and a half hours to Columbia? Why did, why, man, the, the, the missions team that went to Africa, they, got, they had like three days of delays, three days on a nine-day trip. Here they are serving God, and they're trying to do the right thing, and, 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 and things keep getting jammed up. And, and here, here it makes me feel like, man, I, I, I'm the scum. I'm being scraped off the pot after lunch. If that's your story, if things are hard, guess what? You're in good company because the same was true for the Apostle Paul. You guys with me today? Say amen. Man, if things are hard, you might be heading in the right direction. If things are difficult, if things are challenging, if your faith is being stretched, if, if people are criticizing you, you might be in good company because the same thing was happening to Paul. A lot of good servants feel that way from time to time, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're displeasing God. Several years ago, I read a book, and the writer said, remember, anything out of your control is in his plan. There's not a season of criticism in our ministry that has not been immediately followed up by a greater season of growth and blessing. And listen to this. The harder the trial, the greater the blessing. The harder the trial, the greater the blessing. So don't assume when things are going bad, you're displeasing God. But do this. Don't assume when things are going well that you're pleasing God. All right? Don't think to just, hey, man, things are good. I got money in the account. Nobody's mad at me right now. Amen? Man, things are good. You might say, man, my popularity rating is going through the roof. I got a bunch of Insta followers and a bunch of likes on the Facebook. That might be great, but it might also indicate that you're compromising your values in some way. Did your popularity come with a price? Did you have to tear someone else down? So don't just assume that because things are going well that you're pleasing God. And listen to this. Don't be overly concerned with the opinions of other people. And I'm preaching this to me right now. Because by nature, man, I'm a people pleaser. Like a heroin addict needs a needle for a vein. I love when people love me. And I love when people say, man, you're doing a great job. It makes me feel good. Can I get an amen on that? I mean, that's just, that's just where I'm at. I love it when people like the decisions that I make. I like it when I make good decisions. I like it when people want to actually be my friend. And that's to some degree a good thing. But listen, don't be overly concerned with the opinions of other people. Sometimes you're going to do some things that are beneath you. Sometimes you're going to make decisions that are hard decisions. Not everyone's going to like it. Of course, we need to balance this. Every one of us should be open to confrontation and be glad when someone encourages us for something good, something good that we're doing. But Galatians says this in 1 verse 10, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? Because if I were still trying to please man, I Listen to this. If I'm trying to please man, if I'm trying to please man, I'm not a servant of Christ. I'm not a servant of Christ. One writer said, never let the critic set the agenda. And so often in our lives, in our families, in our marriage, in our church, we allow critics to set the agenda. We allow gossips to set the agenda. We allow uh, people that are mean and, and, and people that are judgmental to set the agenda. And, and, and we're just not going to do that. When criticized, someone said, and we all get criticized. And this might be true at work. This might be true at school. This might be true uh, even in the church. Listen, when criticized, if you quit, the critics win. And much is lost for the cause of Christ. Don't let petty people determine your destiny. God planned even your enemies, and they are serving His purposes in your life. I want to say this about critics. One of the, one of the values in our employee handbook here at the church, two, two, two of the five values, one is this. We're going to let trust fill the cracks. I want to say this. As the pastor, sometimes I make decisions that I imagine that many of you don't understand. 
And that's okay. And when I say I make decisions, very rarely do I make a decision without seeking counsel from our pastoral and ministerial staff. Because I believe, and I, I want you to write this down today, we is better than me. In fact, let's say that together. We is better than me. We can do better than that. We is better than me. Now, do I have a, an agenda? Yes. But the agenda that I have, I believe, is one that God has given not only to me, but to our entire ministerial staff. And so as a staff, one of our values is this, let trust fill the cracks. We don't, I, I don't hire people, and I don't bring people onto the team, and I don't ask people to serve in leadership positions, and none of our staff ask anyone to serve in any position here in the church where we say, we're going to let you serve in this capacity, but you're going to have to earn our trust. Do you know how ridiculous that sounds? We say, you have our trust, and we're going to start from a place of trust until you don't have our trust anymore. We're just going to believe in you. We're going to believe that you are the right person in the right time to do what we believe that God is leading us to do in this season. So we're going to, we're going to let trust fill the cracks. The second value that we have here at the church is this, is that we want to have a learner's disposition. Now, listen, I want to be very clear. Like, criticism is fine as long as it comes from a place of love. Criticism is fine as long as it comes from a place of love. Man, Proverbs 27, verse 2 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. So, so, uh, so, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Now get this. When you take two pieces of iron, let's just imagine in our mind we have two swords and we're crossing those swords with each other so that we can sharpen those swords together. What happens when two swords clang against each other? What happens? Sparks fly. That means sometimes confrontation and criticism and, and, and construction, it's hard, man. And when we allow our feelings to get in the way and our personal agendas and all those different things get in the way, much is lost for the cause of Christ. Yesterday, we, we've been, last three days, we've been doing this uh, strategic planning thing, and um, uh, Brandy was in the, in the meeting with us, and she and I kind of went at it on a few items, and I, I you know, uh, there's a couple in the room, and I imagine they thought that we probably want to cut each other in each other's sleep, you know, because we have, both have strong opinions. But I, I, don't, I don't want people in the room that agree with everything I say. I don't want people that are just going to align and, and, be, and rubber stamp everything that we're doing around here. We is better than. And so we're going to work together to come up with a more sharp, clear, concise, strategic plan that makes sense for the glory of God. And you don't get there without some sparks. You don't get there without some criticism. You don't get there without people loving one another enough to say the hard things. Now, I've learned over the years that oftentimes some critics, they're just seeking to understand. They don't understand. And they genuinely just have a concern. And even if the spirit is wrong, when they raise it, their heart might be in the right place. And so here, here's what I want to do. Maybe you can write this down today. Let's give each other some space to ask questions without getting defensive. That's what servants do, man. Give each other some space to ask questions without getting defensive. Let me ask you this. How might that one little truth affect your marriage this week? Amen? Because sometimes my wife will come at me. And when I say come at me, she comes at me. Why'd you do this? And most of the time, here's my answer. I don't know. I don't know. I just did it. <laughs> so, you know, and a lot of times we think people just have bad and ill motives. But most of the time, the person 
that you're criticizing, they're just doing the best they can. And we need to get off each other's back and we need to encourage and coach and love and, 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 and come alongside of each other for the glory and the praise of God. The last thought is this, is service. And this is kind of where we're going with this. Verse 14, verse 17, servants accept correction. Every single one of us, every one of us, there's not a single one of us in this room today that from time to time that we do not need correction. No one, no one's perfect. Say this with me today. I am not perfect. Say it with me. I am not perfect. All right, we good on that? So if someone comes to you and says, hey, you could have done this differently, you can say, I'm not perfect, and it's okay. And here's the good news. We're all people in progress. We're all people in process. Now here's the thing, what Paul says in verse 14. I don't write these things to make you ashamed. I'm writing them to admonish you as my beloved children. Paul loved this church. He loved them in a fatherly, a fatherly way. He approached them with tenderness. He approached them with concern. The problem is most of the time when we approach people, it's not with tenderness and it's certainly not with concern. We're good at speaking truth, but we're not good at speaking truth with love. And oftentimes we speak truth without love. And when we do that, it's like doing surgery without the anesthetic. Are you guys with me? It's like being on the battlefield and you've got to cut somebody open real quick. It's super painful. So, we might need to work on this because many of us approach others with a critical or cynical heart and we do it harshly. And that's an area of growth for me, especially with my, my, my girls. As a parent, sometimes I, I, get a, I, have a, I have a low bandwidth for nonsense. Are you parents with me? Say amen. And sometimes you just reach your limit after you've told your children a hundred times, like, please don't do this or please do this this way. <laughs> but I love my kids. And as much as I love them, sometimes I'm not serving them well when I just come at them harshly. You could say the same with how I approach my wife and even at times with, with the church family. This is an area of growth for me. Out of love, out of love, out of love, we gently, lovingly admonish one another. It's like you have a, a shoulder that's popped out of socket. we got to set that bone and get it in the right place, and the best way to do that is with tenderness and care. And then Paul goes on to say, because someone was sent to lead them in verse 17. He says, look, man, that's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. Paul had, Paul had trained Timothy. He had equipped Timothy to be their pastor, to be their leader, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Hebrews says it this way, remember your leaders, remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome and their way of life. And I want to be clear this morning. Be very clear on this. You do not have a perfect staff. And you certainly do not have a perfect pastor. But you do have a pastor that loves you. You have a staff that loves you. This staff wouldn't be in the kitchen this week. They wouldn't be driving to Columbia this week. They wouldn't be doing some of the things that we do if we did not love you. We love you. We want to see you grow in your faith. We want to see you have a dynamic faith. We want to see you equipped in the Lord. We want to see you have strong marriages. We want to see our kids grow up and, and, and reach the next generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ and see them advance uh, uh, the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so this morning, I want to encourage you to pray for and love on our staff. Go to them today. Write them a note this week. Give them a word of encouragement and tell them, hey man, thank you for enduring. 
Thank you for blessing. Thank you for for walking with us because we can be hard sometimes and we can be kind of negative and we can be kind of critical. But thank you for fulfilling the calling that God has on your life. Thank you for being faithful. Do that for our staff this week. We're here. We are here. Every one of us, all of our ministerial staff, we're not above the body. We're not beyond the body. Me and Brandy and Derek and and, um, Zach and, and all of our staff, all of them, we're part of the church. We're part of the family. We too need love. We too need encouragement. We need to be uh, a part of the family. That's one of the beautiful things about the church. We lead, yeah, but there are times that we need the love. We need correction. We need encouragement that we give to you. So here's the thing, from pastor to people, from pastors and ministers to people, listen, we're in this together. Say amen. amen. We're in this together. We're a family. I don't expect you to agree with all that we do around here, but I do expect us to act like Jesus and love one another. So let me ask you this. How are you going to live this out this week? What does this look like for you and your family? What does this look like in your walk with God? How might, how might serving God be the path to success for you this week? Well, in your notes, there's a few, few things that I just kind of jotted down that I thought might be helpful. One, live with deep humility. Humble yourself this week. Listen, no one is above serving in any capacity. Live with humility. The second one is this, is that when you feel offended by something, is your ego in the way? Is your ego in the way? And and not only that, but let me take it a step further. When you're offended by someone, go to the person. Go to the person. Because if you don't go to them, you know what that's called? It's gossip. And if you're not part of the problem and you're not part of the solution, you're just gossiping. So if someone offended you, someone hurt you, someone, someone did something, go to them. And then be the first to step up. This came from one of our, our ministry residents. Be the first to step up, man. Don't wait for someone else to serve. Listen, how would that change your marriage? How might that change your home? Young people, if you're mom and dad, if you saw something in your home this week and mom and dad's like, man, this really needs to get done, and you like just hopped up and started taking out the trash, I think a Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost revival would happen. Amen? That some students would just get up and be like, oh, let me do that for you. Let me wash some dishes, right? I mean, it's crazy, man. It's crazy. Right? Men, when the chiefs are on and your wife's like, hey, can you help me with this? You know what DVR is, man. Get up, right? Pause it. You can do that now with live TV. It's crazy. God has given you an out, right? Man, step up. Let me ask you this, is there any, any assignment too small for you? And then let me ask you this, church, in what ways are you encouraging others in this building? How are you encouraging others in the church and the staff? Now write this down and when we're done. I went a little long today. Write this down. Obey every impulse of the Holy Spirit. Obey the impulse of the Holy Spirit. God has given us the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. Obey Him especially when he guides you to encourage. Listen, people, people are getting beat up at home, at work, at school, and everywhere else. Let's work to love each other deeply. Let's work to encourage one another. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, how many of you say to me this morning, Pastor, I certainly understand what it means to follow Christ. I know that I'm forgiven of my sins. I know I'm right with God. I know that I put my faith in Jesus, and I give testimony of that today. Would you lift your hand and just let me see those today? You could just say, man, I, I, I get this. 
How many of you would say to me this morning, Pastor, I'm uncertain that I'm a follower of Christ. If I were to slip out into eternity today, I don't know that heaven is my home. I don't know that I'm right with God, and I don't know that I'm forgiven of my sin. And you'd lift your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I, I want to know more about that. Would you just lift your hand and let me pray for you this morning? Is there anyone that's like that that's in here this morning? Anyone at all? Amen. And how many of you say to me this morning, man, I need to work toward being more of a servant that sacrifices and is humble. And I want that for my family. I want that in my marriage. I want that at work. And I especially want that in church. How many of you just lift your hands and say, I need that. I need that right now. Amen. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, would you stand to your feet this morning? Father in heaven, we have a wonderful church. We have incredible people that love you. I believe that we have people that want to live by faith and, and want to see the world changed and impacted and, and people reach with the good news of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I know for me, often, entitlement and comfort sets in. My agenda, my wants, my desires get in the way of me being the servant that you've called me to be as a follower of Jesus Christ. And I need to be a better example to my wife, to my kids. And I need to be a better example to this church. And so God, this morning for me, I confess that. I want to I reflect the love of God. I want to I live the life that Jesus lived. Paul said that I might know you and the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your sufferings. It is not easy often to serve God, but it is so worth it. And I pray that we would raise a generation and have a church that we understood that there is nothing worth giving up at the expense of serving Christ. So God, I pray that this morning over our church. I pray that in my family, and I pray that in my own life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, if God has spoken to you this morning, and maybe you're a guest today, this is the part of the service where we continue in worship. We don't want to just be spectators and listen to the message. We want to be active, engaged participants. What I mean by that is this morning that I, I believe genuinely God is here. The Holy Spirit is speaking. There's been some things this morning that God has touched in your heart and your life. And you're like, well, I need, to, I need to get it together here. I need to make a change here. I need to follow Christ more closely there. And if he's done that this morning, I want you to come down to this altar and bow your knee to Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And say, God, help me. Help me to serve well. Help me to be faithful. Help me to endure. Help me to bless when I'm criticized. Help me to walk in faith and know that my life serving you is better than anything this world has to offer. So God spoke to you today as Derek sings out for his note. Would you step out of your seats this morning and come and worship God in that way?